You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you all. So uh, today I'm going to teach you about a mission of mercy. Jesus Christ uh, extends incredible mercy to an individual who does not deserve it, but he does it anyway. And I think it's a great model for us as Christians, uh, folks that call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, to learn how to engage our culture, our community uh, with mercy. Mercy is uh, extending compassion, being kind, and being able to love somebody even if they don't deserve it, and to demonstrate this with some kind of tangible way to do that. Uh, perhaps uh, uh, your people in your family need mercy right now. Perhaps there's uh, people in the community, uh, in the school system, or in your workplace that need some mercy, and God wants to use you to extend that mercy. We're going to see Jesus Christ going off the grid, if you will, into some, um, uh, uh, some troubling areas in order to uh, demonstrate mercy. You need to understand, culturally speaking, at the time when Jesus does this, um, mercy was not a high value at all. Uh, for the Roman uh, culture within the Roman Empire, um, mercy was something that was not to be proud of. Um, and in today's culture, it is interesting, um, there's not a lot of merciful uh, mindsets among uh, perhaps what I would say conservative, uh, biblically, theologically Christians. Typically, there's kinds of two kinds of churches Churches that veer towards head knowledge, teach the Bible, learn theology. And those churches, if you look at them, oftentimes have very little to low mercy ministries. They don't do a lot to serve the poor. They don't uh, feed the hungry, build the homes in Mexico. Then you have the more liberal churches. When I say liberal, I mean biblically or theologically. They're the ones that are very far advancing in the soup kitchens, doing all the uh, social causes, if you will, uh, to do that. And if you look back in church history, you'll actually see some of that occurring. What I would advocate is that what Jesus models is to be full of grace and to be full of truth. So we need to find ourselves somewhere in the middle where we as a church teach the Bible. By the way, we're 20-something weeks in, and today we get to start chapter 5. So I'm excited about that. We're really making some progress here. So, um, but we're a church that's going to be very strong in the area of biblical authority, theology. All that matters tremendously to us. Um, however, we need to be, uh, if we can't apply what we learn, then it does no good. So it's all the teaching, what we say at North Valley, you come to discover truth for life, you grow in your journey, and then you go out and make a difference. I would argue that God is going to use you to make a difference in this next week or so. Some of the content I'm going to bring up is, is controversial and challenging. But we're going to learn from the person and the work of Jesus Christ as model. So let me illustrate this to make sure we're clear. American culture doesn't value mercy a whole lot. Um, how many of you guys have seen the old TV show or the old movie, right? Karate Kid, raise your hand. Those of you in the courtyard, those of you online, raise your hand. Raise your hand high. How many of you uh, keep your hands up? How many of you loved the show? You just loved the movie, okay? Okay, good. So you know, like 30-something years later, the new storyline comes out where Johnny Lawrence forms what? Cobra? Cobra Kai. It's a new hit sensation. It's a great show, a lot of fun. And uh, help me with the kind of the mantra of Cobra Kai. Strike first, 
strike hard and no what? No mercy. So I have to admit, I do like Cobra Kai. So I, I do. I, I think it's fun. Uh, I, I had so many people tell me about it for so long, and then, like you get into it, like you're proud of Johnny Lawrence, like he's working with a new dojo, and so it's pretty cool. Um, but the no mercy mindset is something that, if you look back in the storyline, uh, uh, Johnny Lawrence had to realize that that's actually not a good thing. Um, so today, for Christians, I want to repaint a picture of what mercy. Jesus said it like this: "Blessed are the merciful." In other words, what we learned during the pandemic is actually the people that felt the greatest levels of happiness were the ones that were out doing things for Jesus. The people that overcame their depression, overcame their discouragement, were the people that said, we're going to still make a difference. We're going to do a great deal of good no matter what. When you want to combat some of your discouragement, when you want to combat some of your depression, the best thing you can do is to focus on somebody else. Go help somebody. Go make a difference. Go show compassion. Be merciful. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of Jesus Christ and see how he's going to help an undeserving person uh, and extend incredible mercy. It's a mission of mercy. Watch this video. This is what all the fuss is about. An oversized mikveh. I have a feeling we haven't seen it all yet. That's him. Who? Him. The one who's been here the longest. But doesn't belong. The sad one. Why do I get the feeling this isn't just a meeting? Do we need to be on the lookout? No. Just stay with me and watch. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. 
Sohn? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you. Who's not helping? Who's getting in your way? I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool... It has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need me. So, do you want to be healed? So let's go. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. to walk like he said don't forget your bed why does this matter because you're not coming back here that life is over everything changes now you it's shabbat what are you doing torah forbids carrying a mat on shabbat not torah the oral tradition yes Transporting objects from one domain to another violates Shabbat. The man who healed me. Do you me. not realize what just happened here? Why are you trying to make this about Shabbat? He said to me, take up your bed and walk. Who did? Who told you that? He did. I don't know. He didn't tell me his name. No. Of course not. He performs a magic trick and tells you to commit a sin. A false prophet. This will be reported. You report whatever you want. I'm standing on two legs. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I need to go find my brother.
Well, let's look at the Bible. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18, it records the story. What you do need to know is that when you're watching this kind of storyline through the media, uh, those video series called The The Chosen, that it actually is a historical event that did take place. Jesus is real. Uh, He is a historical man. He is not only man, he is God. Uh, The events and the locations and the details were recorded by the uh, Apostle John, who is perhaps uh, Jesus' nearest and dearest uh, disciple who followed him and, and took note of everything that took place from his perspective. The Gospel of John is unique in that 90% of the material is very unique among the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the Synoptic Gospels. Um, John stands in, in a brilliant display to show some of the uniqueness of uh, Jesus' life in his ministry. So let's jump in. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Um, What's going on in this passage where John illustrates and describes is literally geographical locations, real cities, real places, uh, real people, these things are going on. Christianity, the cool thing about Christianity is not just some mythical idea. Literally, you can reinforce your ideas about Christianity by literally visiting some of these geographical locations. Um, this place, uh, it was uh, people made a habit and often pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the holy city, is still called the holy city. God has a special plan and a purpose with Jerusalem. And here what we see is people are gathering, God's people are gathering and God might be calling right now. Uh, uh, God's people gathered uh, for, uh, for God's presence and uh, to sing God's praises. And so this is a normal occurrence, and there's a festive, and it's fun, and it would have been, think Thanksgiving, think festival, think good things are happening, and the disciples are having a great time with Jesus. They go to this place called the Pool of Bethesda, which means, Bethesda is the word, it means something along the lines of mercy. It's a place where Jesus has a mission for mercy. He's going to do something great. It was a a superstition that angels would stir the water and that if anybody got in this water, they would be healed. So it was quite an attractional little spot. I mean, in uh, Arkansas, we have this place called Hot Springs. Maybe you've heard of it. Or perhaps you've been in Colorado and seen some of those hot springs. Or perhaps here even in Arizona, there's a really cool hot spring that my, uh, me and some friends uh, visited just not too long ago. Drove out uh, four by fouring, a hundred miles round trip out to the Verde River and visited the old Sheep's Bridge Hot Springs. Legend has it with the cowboys used to cross this bridge and they would set up camp in in soak up the bones in uh, this hot spring, in this hot tub, if you will, that God has just awesomely made for us. And so you can still visit these kinds of hot springs. And so, of course, people that were sick or hurting, they want to enjoy this kind of activity. And so uh, Jesus shows up, and he sees somebody um, that's going to need his mercy. Verse 5, it says, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Uh, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, here's a revealing question, read it with me, do you want to be, do you want to be healed? 
How many of you have ever met somebody that's suffering or in a, in a place of hurt or uh, despondency or despair or discouragement and they really don't even want to get help? Raise your hand. It's interesting to me, I did some research this uh, uh, week on homelessness. I've met uh, homeless individuals that actually didn't want to get off the streets. Um, and if I remember different times in my life when I've extended um, food for the hungry, they say, I don't want food, I want money. Um, they don't want to get off the street. The average homeless person in North America, uh, and I'm not saying this is a all homeless people, the average person in North America actually makes around 30-something thousand dollars a year. That's a lot of money. Um, this homeless man, uh, this person, um, there was probably some level of complacency that was going on. He didn't want to get well. I don't know why, uh, but Jesus asked this question. He hasn't been at that spot for 38 years, but he perhaps is in such a position of hopelessness and helplessness, he blames other people, and then he himself, um, Jesus has to ask the question, do you want to be healed? I've talked to folks that have been in prison uh, before, and they said, why would I want to get out of prison? I get three square meals a day. I got a roof over my head. I mean, I've, it kind of, they make a life out of it. This individual needs some radical mercy from a radical man named Jesus Christ. Um, he is uh, going to experience mercy in a new way. Think about the Israelites. When they were freed out of Egypt, Moses led them out of bondage and slavery then hardship hits, and then what do the Israelites say? We had it better back in Egypt. Sometimes you will meet people that don't want to get help. They really don't want to be healed. I would venture to say this is probably that guy. He was a complacent individual that was so stuck in his perhaps sin and sorrow that he actually didn't really want to be healed. Um, some of you might find that shocking, but let's read further. Uh, verse 7, this, uh, he starts blaming. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. And when the water is stirred up, uh, and when, well, while I'm going, another steps down before me. Perhaps uh, the earth uh, would shake and there would bubbles and minerals and it would heat up. And as soon as that would happen, people would rush into this pool. And he's saying immediately, other people are getting in my way. Um, he's in a sense blaming other individuals uh, for what is going on. I know this doesn't sound nice for me. You think, Ryan, you're literally living out that shirt, no mercy. You're not being merciful on this guy. Um, but let's look a little further. What I'm going to highlight to you is the mercy of God in the mercy that we see displayed in Jesus Christ. So, uh, verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. He commands the individual. This man has done nothing to merit um, divine intervention. Um, there's a lot of sick people there. Jesus chooses this one man. Uh, Jesus isn't going to heal, by the way, the gospel writer does not record this, a lot of people in that setting. He chose one man to heal in that context. Verse 9. And at once, the man was, help me out, he was healed. 
It was an instantaneous healing. It wasn't a therapy. It wasn't rehab program. It was a full instantaneous healing. He took up his bed and walked. Now we get some commentary from the Apostle John on the situation. Things are heating up for Jesus. He's a bit controversial. Now that day was the Sabbath, uh, verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Um, that was actually not true. Uh, the, the, uh, many of the religious radicalists, if you will, created extra rules, which are like extra fences. If you've ever been out in the outdoors and you see lots of fences, it's pretty frustrating, especially if you're trying to go out and enjoy the backcountry and everywhere you see, you see fences. When I see fences, I don't think freedom, I think constraints. And what happens in this radical religious movement is they built lots of extra fences around everything. They created lots of extra traditions. Verse 11 says, but he answered them, uh, this is the sick man, uh, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? They're wanting to know who it is. Jesus Christ has earned a reputation. He's been healing people. Uh, he's been declaring and demonstrating the righteousness of God. There has been a rumor, a surge. Thousands and thousands of people are now coming after Jesus, uh, looking and listening. They want to see him as a miracle worker. They want to see him as a great teacher. Um, some have received him as a savior. So the, the religious uh, radicalists are very frustrated. Uh, verse 13, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. Uh, John uh, the apostle includes this and he's telling you, literally, he didn't know who Jesus was. For Jesus had withdrawn and as there was a crowd in the place. There's a lot of people there. Uh, Jesus slipped away. Um, Jesus knows that he's in divine steps with his divine plan. Um, he knows that he has got to go to the cross, die for uh, the sins of the world, but it's all in a perfect time and a place. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Continuing on, he says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. I find this interesting because it seems to indicate, doesn't it, that this man's illness, his, uh, 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 being, his life being lame or crippled, is an indication of something went wrong with his life. He was living a sinful life. And uh, it, you could equate out of that idea right there that because this man was living a sinful life, because he was living uh, a life contrary to God, Therefore, uh, when we see sickness or illness, we can equate it to uh, a sinfulness. But that's not the case. In John chapter 9, the disciples actually ask, is it uh, always that when somebody is sick or hurt or whatever, it's a result of their sin? The answer is no. Uh, Jesus says that. However, in this case, um, we see that this man's past life, his decisions... His actions and his current condition is a result of sin. How many of you have uh, seen before where people make destructive habits or practices or do things that are contrary to God's purpose and God's plan and it brings significant suffering? Would you raise your hand? It can destroy a family. It can destroy yourself. It can hurt and bring incredible hurt and harm. 
Um, what we see here is uh, something next, is that we see uh, verse 15. Uh, this guy doesn't give kudos to Jesus. He doesn't give him a high five. He doesn't say, thank you for healing me. Um, as the video did portray that kind of attitude, I think there's a little more here. Verse 15 says that the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Let me ask you a question. If the Jews know who healed him, what do you think the Jews are going to do at this point in time? Uh, the Jewish folks, uh, they're the most antagonistic per, uh, group towards Jesus Christ. Um, in a sense, what's going to happen is, is that, and he would have known it, uh, this guy has broken the law, and he's in a sense pre presenting himself as just as equal with the Father and divine himself. Um, let's find out the response. Verse 16, and it says, And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that now Jesus is in, on the road to persecution, deep persecution. Uh, continuing on, let's look at it. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I'm working. In other words, Jesus is at work. God's at work all the time. 24-7, he's at work. Uh, he did take a break on, uh, after he uh, built the earth, uh, spoke the earth into existence and created the world. He did take a break. However, uh, God is always at work, like 24-7, like quick trip. It's open. You can always call on God. He's always working. And Jesus says, so am I. Verse 18, it says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more, help me out, to what? To kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. And so here's what you see is, this man who was healed, he turns Jesus in. Um, we don't know the details of what happens with this man afterwards, but turning him in uh, would have been deeply troubling. And he probably knew that. Um, he doesn't give Jesus a high five. He doesn't give him props, no fist bumps, no nothing. What he does is he turns Jesus in to the very people that have the power to kill him. And that's what history tells us. It is the Pharisees that end up putting Jesus to death. I would argue that this man um, unknowingly or knowingly turns Jesus in because he does not receive him as Messiah. Jesus does a great work, and Jesus is the one to be uplifted and to be praised in this situation. He extends mercy and compassion to an individual that is going to do nothing but hurt him. Do you feel like there's somebody in your life that you need to extend mercy, compassion, that perhaps is going to do nothing but hurt you? Think about that. As a Christian, as a parent, as a friend, as a coworker, there are people that will hurt you, but you feel the need at times to show this unconditional love. This is the heart of the Father. He's extending mercy to a man who, right, is ultimately going to turn Jesus in. And by the way, the Gospel of John now says, and now all the wheels are turning, he will be killed persecution will start and who triggered it the man jesus healed that is mercy so three lessons i think from us for us to learn from today number one is that jesus was persecuted uh, you will be persecuted 
You have a mission of mercy in your life. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, that we're to be merciful. Um, Jesus was persecuted. Um, this is a part of the Christian life. Following Jesus means you're going to be insulted. You're going to be harassed. You're going to be discriminated. Um, you're going to be gossiped about. You're going to be slandered. You could be even physically harmed depending on where you live as a Christian. Jesus was persecuted. Uh, you will be persecuted. You will be censored. You will be canceled. You will find a conflict increasingly as a Christian in our country. Uh, the Bible says, 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 14, very timely and very uh, helpful for us to grasp this understanding, says this, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. You want to be a good Christian man, a good Christian woman, uh, you will be persecuted. It doesn't sound like the health, wealth, gospel. If you follow Jesus and you live for Jesus and you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, you could be, but not always. Jesus said it like this, pick up your cross and follow me. If you want to live, you're going to die. That's what he said. Christianity is a paradox. In suffering, there can be joy. Um, in hardship, there can be great, great peace. And, and so Paul says, the apostle tells the church, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I just want to encourage you and challenge you to understand uh, probably as a Christian, your threshold of pain and frustration, you need to increase that. You need to have incredibly tough skin and an incredibly soft heart. This is the time we're living in where you need to realize that persecution is just a part of life. It's just part of it. We haven't felt that in our culture before because um, we've had typically and historically a strong Judeo-Christian value system, and now that is no longer so, and it's abundantly evident. You, Jesus was persecuted. You will be persecuted. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I was hoping to have good news today. This doesn't sound like good news. Uh, but it is good news in the sense that God is with you. Think about it like this. Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, he said, I send you out like sheep amongst the what? The wolves. Okay, so you, you should think about this. The church is likened to sheep, but also in the church there are shepherds, and yet we know that there are wolves. Metaphorically speaking, these are people that do evil against us and hurt us and try to hurt us, defame God's name. Let me ask you a question, church. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Do you want to be a sheep? Do you want to be a shepherd? Or do you want to be a wolf? I think our church and at North Valley, we need more shepherds. Shepherds at our home. Shepherding people. Shepherds in our workplace. Shepherds in our businesses. We need people that take the heart of the shepherd. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He is the great shepherd. Amen? But in doing so, you will be persecuted. Number two, I'd say uh, what we learned from Jesus is that he encountered false religions. You will encounter false religions. Uh, false religions are very much uh, man-centered. Uh, Jesus' problem with the false religion that he was dealing with was it was extra rules, extra fences, very man-made. Um, it wasn't the true faith. 
in our culture, in our time, we encounter false religions all the time. The apostle, this is nothing new. Uh, the apostle Paul, again, uh, he wrote to the early church and he says this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. What he's talking about is a great apostasy where many believers will fall away from their faith and not trust in biblical sound teaching, theology, and Bible. He says, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. The Apostle Paul uh, had a protege by the name of Timothy. And Timothy was in charge. He was a shepherd. I pray that in our church we would raise many shepherds to help lead other people. At this church, we applaud, support, and encourage people to lead and lead like Jesus and be a shepherd in their marketplace. Be a shepherd from the boardroom to the classroom uh, to the living room. You are a shepherd. You should think like a shepherd. And what it tells us, the Bible tells us, is that a lot of people will fall astray. And I see this happening in our own Christian culture where entire denominations are shifting, walking away from the authority of Scripture twisting the truth, literally getting spokesmen to come into the major denominations and talk about how the Bible is filled with errors and that we, in a sense, have redefined a new morality, a new uh, ethics, a new Christian version. It's a new wave of Christianity, which will not look like what you remember. There are false religions there always has been, um, there's, uh, typically there's always a rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, I can think of uh, the Unification Church. Jesus is not only equal to man, um, but you can surpass him in the Unification Church. Uh, with Je Je Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they believe that Jesus is unique, but he's still a created lesser God. If you come from a JW background, it's all about works. It's all about knocking on doors. And by the way, they have the highest rate of suicide among all cult groups because they can never work their way up enough. Um, Mormons believe that Jesus is a spirit brother of Lucifer. Uh, Christian science, which is really alarming and, and very confusing. I don't think there's any Christian in it, nor science. It's kind of like grape, grape nuts. I don't think there's grapes, nor there's nuts in that cereal. And Christian science is very confusing if you've seen it. And of course, all the Hollywood people love it, you know. Uh, it speaks of Jesus as being a human being, demonstrated Christ-centeredness, a divine idea, but he's not really the resurrected Son of God. Historical Christianity teaches that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus um, suffered on a cross for our sins so that we can have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again. Amen. And this is historical Christianity, so everything Jesus has to say matters to us. He is the one, the true. Uh, he is the life. No one gets to the Father but through Jesus. That message is not popular. And there is a false religion in churches today. There's a false religion in our schools today. Um, just this week, I had a conversation with some school administration in our own valley about some of the, I would say, the disturbing uh, material that's being presented um, not as theories, but as facts uh, within our educational system, which I find most of it to be anti, listen, Bible, anti-family, anti-marriage, anti-Christianity. That's what it is. Um, 
there will be an ongoing persecution and challenge. Our young ones probably are going to be suffering the most. You don't realize it, but they will. Um, some of you that are homeschool moms or uh, private school parents, you're like saying, finally, Pastor Ryan, I told you, you know, told you this was happening. Um, I don't want to create a fight within our homeschool community or our private school community or our public school community. I think God charges us with a plan that we're to be shepherds and raise up our kids to know and love, follow Jesus Christ. However, the methods may vary. And you know, and I know there's good churches, bad churches, good schools, bad schools. That's just the way it goes. So back on this issue, I found out uh, through students within our own church that they're being taught a new socio-construct, which is the idea that uh, you can gender change at any point in time based on what you think or believe. And it went so far to say is that you, can, uh, you would be incentivized and be given extra credit if you wanted to explore perhaps a new liberation and cross-dress and come to school the next day as the opposite sex. So we are telling students if they want to for extra credit, you can dress as the opposite sex and come to school the next day. Imagine how challenging that must be for the family to encounter that kind of information. Um, as I rebuttaled some of these issues within the administration, I was told this, that basically Christians have historically disagreed with the evolution theory, and therefore this new socio-construct being taught through all psychology and sociology, and I'm not going to say every school is doing this, but because of the new socio-construct being developed within our educational system, it is just the same. Some people will be offended, some won't. My problem is, is back on evolution, if we Christians want to make a difference, what we ought to do is say, well, evolution is a, help me out, a theory. It is not a fact. And if I have ever told you my story, when I fought evolution, I fought the professor um, at the university because he presented evolution as a fact. I stood up rebuked him publicly, and the whole class finally applauded, but they, they, because I knew God was calling me to be a shepherd. I needed to speak up because they were like sheep. Students by nature come to school to learn, trusting they're going to be presented, help me out, truth. So now our educational system is teaching, and probably has been, the idea that this is not a theory, a new socio uh, 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 development for gender as a theory but as a fact. So it is an uphill battle for you and what should we do? My encouragement would be is to dialogue with the teachers which I'll be doing so. Um, dialogue with the administration which I have. But you need to do something. So what do you do? Well, if you know truth, you can do three things. One, you can go and you can uh, hurt people with truth. Become that fundamentalist and that bigot and just berate them with truth. Or you could hide the truth and dismiss it and act like it doesn't happen. Or you could actually seek to help and say, have we ever thought about offering another idea here? The alternative to evolution theory is called intelligent design. That's a great way to present Two things, evolutionary theory, intelligent design, creation theory. We ought to do that. New socio-construct, 
How about dialogue in discuss uh, heterosexual monogamous relationships that we call marriage? How about that and the benefits of that? This is the new uh, religion, I would say, that is moving through our, our schools, our churches, and you have a question, you have a decision to make, what are you going to do? Even if you know people that are so bought into a new false religion, if you will, you have a responsibility, watch this, to be just like Jesus. Jesus knew that guy was going to turn him in. If he's God, he's all-knowing, right? He knows that guy is going to get him crucified. John says for the very first time, this guy, uh, now the Jews are going to persecute. Now killing is at the top list. Jesus is there. Who triggered this? This guy. So we could be like Jesus, extend mercy to people that we know are going to reject us, hate us, and try to hurt us, and yet still be merciful? Why does that matter? I'd say uh, number three, Jesus extended mercy. You need to extend mercy. When you extend mercy to people, ladies and gentlemen, you're showing the Father heart of God. You're showing compassion on people that don't even deserve it. So how do you do that? Maybe it's you call the teacher. Maybe it's you have the conversation with your employee or your employer, and you don't hide truth. You seek to help people understand truth. Jesus said it like this, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Mercy matters tremendously. And I think in today's church, we forget that. We think that mercy doesn't matter because we're angry, and rightfully so. But mercy always matters, and I think mercy has one of the most powerful missions and impacts that we could do as Christians today. Uh, Jesus also said this, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus has a mission of mercy, do you? Are you engaged in mercy? Do you give towards it? Do you serve it? Do you display it? Do you share about the mercies of God? Do you share with other people that are probably going to hurt you, talk bad about you, but do you still show compassion? Let me show, show you how mercy has impacted uh, civilizations throughout church history. Rodney Stark is a fantastic sociologist. He's a Christian sociologist. By the way, if any of you are thinking about going into higher education as a career, I applaud you. Right now, we need professors. We need teachers. We need lawyers. We need doctors. We need policemen, policewomen. We need people living out Jesus in everyday life. Uh, Rodney Stark is a fantastic sociologist. He writes about basically the impact of mercy on the early church and throughout history and, and explains how in the world did Christianity become the global leading religion of the world. He says this, to cities uh, filled with homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments, connection. Christianity has always been this uh, beautiful thing that God wants to use His church to extend mercy to the outsider, to the stranger, to the hurt. And then he goes on, he says, to cities filled with orphans and widows, and that's our city, uh, Christianity provided a new and expanse sense of family. We're doing that. 
we encourage fostering. We encourage adoption. We encourage fathers in the field, a mentor program, or fatherless boys get a father mentor. Christianity is an awesome alternative to cities torn by violent ethnic strife. Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. All the racism, all the hatred. Christianity is an incredible alternative and always has been. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, earthquakes, Christianity offered an effective nursing services. Through all the history from the bubonic plague to different pandemics that have uh, plagued our earth, Christians are going into these struggles. This is why the people that actually survived and thrived during the pandemic were the people that were going out and doing something. Because mercy is good. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. What does that mean? It means happy are the ones who extend mercy. So you're happiest when you do mercy. Here's an interesting stat. Modern medical experts believe that conscientious nursing without any medications uh, could cut the mortality rate by two-thirds. In other words, just being a nice, caring person, you could help save somebody's life with your kindness, with your compassion. I talked to a friend earlier, uh, right after first service, and they said, I've got a friend who's living an alternative lifestyle. Thank you so much for preaching the message and motivating our people towards mercy. Because I know this person hates every idea and biblical value that I hold to, but I still choose to love that person. I said, good for you. Uh, you have to be a, a messenger of mercy, but you don't hide truth, and you don't hurt people with truth. You should help people with truth. Amen? Continuing on in, three, in a couple things here, extraordinary church growth took place in 250 A.D. to 350 A.D. Expansive. In Christianity history, it went from 1 million followers to 34 million followers. That's the storyline of our church. What happened at the end of the 3rd century and into the early 4th century to cause such an explosion? Well, it wasn't massive crusades, political maneuvering, as good as Constantine was, and and legalizing Christianity, that wasn't it. That caused Christianity to grow so much. It was through the service, the sacrifice, missionaries that shared and showed the love of Christ with, help me out, mercy. I think the greatest impact that we'll have on our generation ahead is not necessarily our good news, but it's our good works. I think people care far more about how do we live our lives and what do we do than what we have to say. I think the good news is important. You need churches, Bible preaching, teaching, uh, preaching the gospel message. We need to speak up and say something about Jesus being the one, the way, the truth, the life. However, I'm just telling you, I think that most people can agree and no matter what lifestyle they choose, no matter what religion they come from, no matter what they uh, uh, believe about Christianity, good works is always a good thing. And this is why perhaps Jesus said, hey, I need you to know something, disciples. Um, you're a light. You're a light to the world. Let other people see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. There's three ways I think that you can help. Number one, I think that you share. Number two, you serve. And number three, you give. Towards what? Towards missionary, mercy, uh, ministries, and programs that we have within our church. I think you need to share about... Um, Fathers in the field. The single mom and the fatherless boy is the greatest unchurched group of people in our country. 
Um, thankfully, at this church, we've started that program and we're commissioning men. We have four brand new men that are ready to go. So I need you to go share with a neighbor, a friend, about uh, that our church is a church that can help extend mercy. We don't need anything from the single mom. We don't need them to do anything, join our church, attend our church. We don't ask for anything, and we want to help you to raise your boy to understand what does the Bible have to say and what does it mean to be a man. Biblical masculinity is on the decline, and uh, the church should be the answer. Christians should be the answer. So share, share, share. We have another group called uh, Community Cares Team where we send out people from our church if you've got a neighbor in need or a coworker that's struggling and they can't pay their bills, their car's broken, their house is broken, it's falling apart, they're a single mom, they're um, a widowed uh, person, then we will actually send a team fully funded to go fix their problems. We don't say, you better come to our church, you better uh, sign here, here's a bill. We just say, we come in the name of Jesus. Isn't that good? Thank you for giving towards that. Thank you for those that are serving towards that. I want to say thank you for that real quick. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you're a great God. And I think mercy needs to increase in this place. Father, correct our hearts where we drive past the, the hurt and the homeless, the, the poor and the needy, where we see the man or woman that is so far, perhaps, and un away from understanding their God-given identity, might you cultivate a heart of compassion. Give us an immense level of deep love for truth and grace. Teach us to be different. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.